Hello and welcome to Corporate Governance at LSE in a new series on uh, views from emerging markets where we want to explore issues about governance in other parts of the world. In Hong Kong, we have Hans Heard. Hans Heard, as some of you might know, is a fellow of Corporate Governance at LSE, but also director of the Hermes Investment Fund. Hans, tell us who you got with us today. Thank you very much, Tom, and, and welcome from a very uh, hot um, Hong Kong. I'm very pleased to have with me today two of the leading corporate governance experts uh, in China, Professor Wei Chen from uh, Shanghai Jiao Tong University and uh, Michael Chang, uh, who's based here in, uh, in Hong Kong from the Asian Corporate Governance Association. And Michael, maybe I can start um, with you as my first question on, on corporate governance. How does China compare to other markets in, in Asia, both developing markets um, and developed markets like, like Japan. And now you have uh, last year published um, a very interesting study on the topic. Yes, thanks very much, Hans. Uh, let, let me uh, show you. Uh, this is CG Watch 2014, uh, which is a biannual survey uh, ACGA does with uh, CLSA. Uh, China finished ranking number nine, uh, basically at the same score of 45. We mainly look at five areas, uh, and they are CG rules and practices, enforcement, uh, political and regulatory environment, uh, what we call IGAP, which is accounting and auditing, uh, and finally, CG culture. We do have CSRC, the China Securities Regulator, uh, making new rules on attendance at AGM and voting, uh, but overall, the attendance and also the participation is still rather limited. On enforcement, uh, we get more uh, enforcement initiatives on, say, insider dealing and market manipulation from the CSRC, uh, but we would like to see more consistency and transparency. Now, on political and regulatory environment, uh, I think all eyes are on state-owned enterprise reform, uh, but yet yesterday, I think there was a report by the National Audit Office that, again, over 10 uh, state-owned enterprises, and you were talking about very major SOEs for that matter, having accounting uh, irregularities. And this has been the same theme for the last couple of years. Now on the fourth area on accounting and auditing, uh, you have the Ministry of Finance just issuing provisional regulations on basically auditing practices uh, of mainland China companies listed overseas. So we'll see how much progress uh, that will enable accounting and auditing practices to advance uh, for mainland companies. And lastly, on CG culture, I think the general uh, consensus is that you do have a lot of rules and regulations in the mainland system. However, practice is often a different matter. And in a survey conducted by a Beijing University back in 2013, you have over 80% of mainland Asia companies failing that survey. So overall, hence, it's not completely a surprise that China only ranked number nine uh, out of our 11 markets in Asia. And what are the key issues? What do we hear from investors before they invest in, in China? What are the key issues they're looking at? Um, financial reporting, I think that's one thing very major. Uh, and global investors would not like to see surprises. Uh, hence, improvement in financial reporting is a big theme. And also, non-financial reporting is also now becoming increasingly important. Uh, with sustainability issues 
uh, becoming more and more uh, on the agenda. Uh, now, state-owned enterprise reform, uh, I think that's also uh, what global investors would be very interested in. And overall, shareholder engagement is another big area. Uh, so attendance at AGM, proxy voting. Unfortunately, we have heard anecdotal stories of votes by international investors uh, being rejected. Um, and so we would like to see some progress and improvement on that count. Let me bring in uh, Professor Shen at, at this point, and maybe you could just talk a little bit about the corporate governance uh, journey, the history, key developments um, over the last decade. In the past decade, I think mainly there have been two things the Chinese government has been uh, pushing very hard. One thing is a so-called uh, modern enterprise system. Uh, by transforming a large number of uh, state-owned enterprises um, into uh, modern uh, uh, companies and to diverse their ownership, uh, shareholding structure. That's one thing. The other thing is demanding uh, company law first, then securities law. Now the Chinese government is trying to amend the securities law again. The plan is to have the new securities law uh, uh, amended by the uh, National People's Congress early next year. Certainly there are other moving pieces. For example, the Chinese government has rescued uh, the failing uh, state-owned banks in order to finance, providing uh, stable financing into state-owned enterprises. And what will be the key aspect of reforming SOE? My understanding is that uh, the government looks more into a system like similar to Singapore, where there is a, a sovereign wealth fund managing capital rather than managing companies, which is rather different from, from the current Chinese model. Uh, whenever we talk about China, there are always two uh, phases. One is the international phase, the other is the domestic phase. Internationally, we have seen a large number of state-owned enterprises uh, perform quite well through the uh, financial crisis. So China now has uh, 72 uh, state-owned enterprises, which are now uh, uh, global Fortune 500 enterprises right after the United States. But domestically, the uh, portion of state-owned enterprises is uh, declining compared to our private sector. Now China is experiencing the uh, so-called new normal economy, which means there's a slowing uh, economic growth rate, probably less than uh, 7%. So now the government is uh, working on how to bring uh, more private enterprises into the economic growth, economic uh, system. For example, the government now is allowing uh, private uh, enterprises to be part of the banking system. Uh, some privately owned banks are newly launched and set up, uh, Alibaba, for example. So. Uh, I think state-owned enterprises reform still is on the top of the agenda. Uh, the aim is to make it more functioning uh, economically, uh, more profitable, uh, more successful. Uh, uh, together with state-owned enterprises, the Chinese government is also want to see uh, a survival or revival of our private sector. At this point, I'd like to bring uh, back in Tom. Obviously. There's lots to do in, in corporate governance terms in China. And so my big worry in a way is, are things moving fast enough? And the background to it is 
monetary policy in China was quite aggressive over the last few years, and eventually, even possibly now, uh, this monetary policy is running out and we will move naturally into a time when firms need to be restructured. So the question is, are boards in particular, governance in general, ready to take on the role of restructuring firms, which might be the necessary consequence um, following the end of loose monetary policy? Well, I guess, Tom, the uh, $64 million question is, is that reform fast enough for global investors? Uh, and that could be a very subjective matter. And it also depends on the methodology and also the culture uh, and mindset of different global investors. Uh, now, one way to look at it, obviously, there has been tremendous progress in, for example, state of enterprise reform in the last few years since the third plenum of November 2013. Uh, however, uh, is or would sort of the reform coming out of that initiative be of a sufficient pace for global investors uh, when the markets have been, uh, the domestic China market uh, has moved, as we have seen, with a bit of a roller coaster ride? Uh, for a lot of investors. Um, so, and, and talking about boards in particular, in fact, we've had the rule that one-third of China boards to comprise of independent directors since 2001. And that is like some 10 years uh, before Hong Kong finally got that rule into place in the listing rule. Yet, however, uh, how much would these independent directors function effectively at boards uh, of listed companies in China? That's a different question. So again, it's all relative. And again, I, I sort of repeat uh, my overall observation, is the pace fast enough for you? I have always Japan in mind. You know, Japan had very loose monetary policy, then ran into trouble, and only now is coming around in restructuring its governance codes and really trying to attract foreign money. But I think uh, you're right that compared to Japan, uh, China is probably well, well ahead of everybody. You mentioned the boards and that the boards of state-owned companies and that the boards of, of private companies. Are they really comparable? Are private companies take it serious? Or are they appointing friends and family? Uh, so on some level, uh, private enterprises in China have kind of prospered despite or irrespective of governance uh, standards. However, we have um, spoken to and visited some private enterprises in China, and we do find some refreshing uh, observations that uh, a lot of those family-owned private enterprises in China are appointing independent directors to be sort of uh, a teacher or a professor uh, of sort of the second generation of that business, which to us is actually a good trend. Uh, now, as for state-owned enterprises, I think we are all on the same page that it quite depends on the role uh, played by the regulator SASAC, the State-Owned Assets Supervision and Administration Commission. Uh, now, the recent trend, I think SASAC is very uh, keen to point out to the market that they would like to reduce uh, their regulation more to one of management of capital uh, and try to bring down their level of direct influence or regulation in the SOEs. 
uh, that that process would take a while. The major problem with the private sector is the difficulty in financing. They have a, a huge difficulty in uh, mobilizing uh, financing from the state-owned uh, banking system. That's why we see a huge uh, shadow banking sector in China. Uh, at the same time, the state-owned uh, sector or state-owned uh, uh, enterprises are not economically efficient. For example, they can uh, have probably 60 percent of the financing from the banking system, they, but they, they can only contribute probably 20 to 30 percent to the economy, economic growth. And uh, by contrast, the private enterprises can only get 20 percent out of the banking system, but they contribute probably 60 percent. But the problem with the state-owned sector is uh, uh, the strong uh, uh, support by the government in terms of its uh, political system. When the uh, public sector is not successful or the economic is slowing down, then the government will rely on the private sector. But at the same time, or later on when the econ economic situation is better, then the government probably will switch back to the state-owned sector and uh, trying not to uh, is that supportive to the private sector. So there's so always some uncertainty there. Do you think in, in the whole corporate governance system of, of Chinese companies, is there a role for investors, like we're seeing all across the world, and starting in the United Kingdom, um, this court, stewardship courts for institutional investors, encouraging institutional investors to take more of a role in the corporate governance of, of companies? Do you think this is something that is valid and, and useful and possible um, with state-owned enterprises in, uh, in, in China? My feeling is uh, China overall is a hybrid regime in terms of its corporate uh, system, corporate governance system. On one hand, China is moving towards uh, uh, rights protection, shareholder rights protection, by bringing some uh, concepts from common law jurisdictions, for example, derivative actions, so on and so forth. On the other hand, China is moving towards uh, uh, so-called corp uh, corporate social responsibility uh, and other civil law uh, traditions or concepts. Uh, corporate social responsibility is brought into uh, Chinese uh, corporate law from uh, European uh, system. But again, uh, when you go back to the uh, rights protection, when you uh, go uh, back to the corporate social responsibility, employees or stakeholders have no mechanism to enforce their rights. So overall, in terms of enforcement, in terms of uh, effect or efficacy of this uh, concepts, it relies on the uh, Chinese overall, uh, China's overall economic scenario. Michael, any views on role of, of investors? Um, also, we have heard the legal perspective, anything without um, litigation, perhaps? Yes, well, in, in fact, Hans, today is a very momentous day of the uh, signing uh, of the agreement for the establishment formally of the AIIB, the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Now, uh, if I may say that's uh, part and parcel of China's uh, uh, very progressive, one belt, one road policy initiative, and also it's uh, sort of going out policy. Now, obviously, this kind of go both ways. Uh, China would always uh, welcome the sort of participation uh, by global investors. Um, so the more participation that global investors, uh, whether through uh, QV or RQV, and now mutual connectivity through, for example, Shanghai Hong Kong Stock Connect, 
uh, although the percentage perhaps in the Asia domestic market may not be very significant right now, but this trend will potentially be very influential and significant. Okay. Let us come back to Stock Connect and the recent uh, share price movements, but maybe asking Tom if he has any any questions on what we've just um, just heard on the role of investors in particular? I, I follow with great interest um, this debate about enforcement because I think it it is a very important dimension of governance here that you have the backstop of going to courts or you have the right to call an extraordinary general meeting with a small fraction of shareholder votes. And I will be quite interested to hear more about it because, um, as Hans rightly pointed out, litigation is not a way going forward, but maybe there are other enforcement mechanisms we could employ to substitute for uh, the lack of litigation or court efficiency. Uh, in securities regulation, or securities law, basically there are two types of uh, enforcement. One is public enforcement, the other is private enforcement. Public enforcement relies on a regulator, how regulator plays the game in the marketplace. In that regard, I think overall, probably CSRC, which is the equivalent authority of SEC in China, uh, is probably doing not that successfully so far. Because in the capital markets in China, we still see a lot of of uh, scandals and market manipulations, so on and so forth. So in that regard, public uh, enforcement probably is not that successful. The reason probably is uh, related to the limited uh, uh, availability of uh, administrative resources. Overall, in SR, uh, CSRC, we only have 400 staff. So there's a mismatch in terms of uh, administrative resources and uh, the size of capital markets. Then we move to the uh, next type of, the second type of enforcement, that's private enforcement. Then we rely on the courts, rely on the uh, investors to see whether investors can initiate uh, some litigation. But again, uh, in the past decade, we only saw one or two uh, cases in which minority shareholders brought lawsuits against directors. So some scholars look at uh, the third type of enforcement. It's called a semi-enforcement system. Uh, which relies on uh, reputational sections or shaming sections. But again, if uh, public enforcement is not successful, then probably very unlikely uh, reputational enforcement uh, is not uh, uh, functioning well as well. The overall trend is a decline of using these uh, reputational sections. So I think the problem with China or Chinese uh, capital markets, again, is about its uh, enforcement system. And let's talk a little bit about Stock Connect, um, which everyone talks about here in, in Hong Kong and at, at present, at least the, the people I have met the last uh, couple of days. Michael, just explain us very briefly what Stock Connect is and what the implications have been um, recently. Yes, and in very simple terms, Stock Connect allowed the investors on both sides, uh, investors uh, in the mainland, uh, to be able to transact Hong Kong stocks. And then Hong Kong stocks or Hong Kong investors uh, via or global investors via Hong Kong Stock Exchange can then transact uh, in mainland domestic stocks. Uh, Shanghai Hong Kong Stock Connect brings a totally different dimension to the challenges on enforcement. 
what if you have a Hong Kong investor not happy with, for example, a mainland listed company? So can that Hong Kong investor start litigation in Hong Kong or in the mainland? And vice versa, what if mainland investors are unhappy about a Hong Kong listed company? So how will a mainland investor via private enforcement or otherwise try to enforce their rights in Hong Kong? What about the regulators on both sides? The two regulators have entered into a memorandum of understanding, um, but we have not seen a concrete case yet uh, in these six, seven months of a real case of enforcement. And the share price movements have been dramatic, to say the least. Um, so with these kind of dramatic movements, potential violation of securities laws and potential litigation will happen. But how will that all take place uh, is right now I think everyone's very interested in. My, my understanding is there are many more retail shareholders involved in, in investment in, in, in Shanghai. How much does that play a role in these dramatic share, share price um, up, ups and downs we have seen here in, uh, in Hong Kong? Uh, you have something like uh, maybe I, I think there has been studies that in the mainland China market you have something like 90 million to 100 million retail investors and that's a lot, a uh, very significant uh, segment of the market uh, for the regulators to be concerned about. Now Hong Kong obviously is a much smaller market from a retail investment point of view but I think recently uh, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange uh, uh, has done a survey and you have basically something like 30 to 40 percent uh, of the adult population in Hong Kong also uh, investing in shares. So this sort of amount of retail investment in the securities market is not something uh, to be taken lightly. Tom, do you have questions on this part of our interview? Um, not, on, not on this one, but there's one question that uh, I will be very interested in hearing more about is renumeration. Renumeration is kind of an integral part of governance, at least the way we know it, setting the right incentives, schemes and structures, which is quite difficult to get right actually. How much is it actually used as a governance mechanism and if it is used, is the pay disparity as large as it is here between the, the top and, and the bottom? I think relatively, uh, in our survey of 11 markets in, in Asia, remuneration is relatively not of a priority as much uh, as in uh, sort of global concerns uh, on that issue. And if you have a market like uh, China, very often you have the reverse side of concern, which is uh, remuneration more set uh, by the state regulator. Um, so overall, how effective or how significant is a vote against a director's pay, uh, I, I think it, it's uh, relatively uh, of uh, a different uh, concern in the Asian markets as compared to other global markets. That would be my two cents uh, on that issue. Uh, in China, executive pay overall is not a huge problem because the government does not use executive pay as a corporate governance instrument. Instead, the government uses uh, the executive pay as a political instrument to uh, condemn uh, uh, corruption 
uh, and other uh, political politics uh, related scandals. So the central government uh, has a cut off policy saying all the executives in state in large state owned enterprises can only have uh, annual salaries at the rate of 600,000 RMB per year. So you have two options if you are a, a, a uh, top executives in state-owned enterprises, you can uh, stay and take this uh, salary, annual salary, uh, or you can leave and the government can offer you a better job. And most uh, executives are willing to stay, and they, they like to take a, a pay cut. So the reason for that uh, is probably there are other compensation for uh, uh, the salary loss, for the loss of salaries. So executive pay in China is not calculated uh, based on the performance, uh, company performance. Something I, I learned relatively recently is about variable interest entities and, and their role in particular, I think it was an issue when Alibaba had, had the listing. Can you just explain very, very briefly what variable interest entities are and, and their significance and legal uncertainties around um, their existence in China. VIE is a transactional structure in which Chinese investors bring overseas or foreign investors into some restricted uh, sectors such as telecoms sectors. These sectors according to Chinese law are not 100% opened up to uh, foreign investors. So by Having this VI structure in place, foreign investors can uh, invest into uh, a holding company of uh, SPV in uh, uh, overseas jurisdiction like Hong Kong, Cayman, or BVI. Then uh, this holding company will invest further into a Chinese entity. So. In the marketplace, a lot of uh, telecoms enterprises in China are using VIE structures widely in order to attract foreign investors into uh, uh, their businesses. So we see Alibaba, Tencent, Baidu, Sohu, all of them basically are using these VIE structures. The regulators are trying not to allow uh, Chinese investors to use VI structure uh, in order to attract foreign investors. But the Ministry of Commerce is trying to amend its uh, uh, foreign investment law. Uh, the VIE, the legality or validity of VIE will be formally endorsed to bring back Chinese entities which are listed overseas, like Alibaba, Tencent, because all of them are very good uh, enterprises. They have uh, good assets. So the Chinese government doesn't want to see the flow of good assets out of China. So the rationale is to bring them back. Michael, do investors, foreign investors you speak to, do they understand the, the current legal situation around um, these entities and are they aware of the risk and, and, and the uncertainties? Yes, Hans, I think a lot of global investors are very concerned about uh, the potential change in legislation or rules for the VIEs uh, in the sense that right now they already have exposure to certain listed companies, for example, listed in the US and some listed uh, on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, which have adopted uh, a VIE structure. Now, uh, in the uh, consultation that Professor Shen has talked about uh, by MOFCOM, uh, there is some chapter and verse as to uh, how potentially the existing listed VIEs can be dealt with, uh, but that is not entirely clear. Uh, 
Um, so I think a lot of global investors and the market are very interested uh, to see what potentially uh, will happen to these existing and, and listed VIEs. Uh, but to, uh, I, I think to date, a lot of global investors are still trying to come to grips with uh, how exactly uh, they need to deal with VIEs from a legal and or regulatory risk point of view. Tom, do you have any follow-up questions on that topic? I'm not a lawyer, so I leave the law questions obviously to the lawyers. But um, I'm very of time, we're running out of time soon. And I just wanted to ask our guests to quickly summarize their main points of governance in China, the main issues of governance in China today, and how they see it going forward. First of all, improve the general meeting and voting regime so that international investors can participate more. That's one thing. And the second thing may be connected with the first one. Please provide more materials available in English. Because right now, I think uh, perhaps uh, substantial information on the CSRC website and the exchanges website are only available in Chinese. And last but not least, as I think we've covered quite a bit in this uh, discussion, state-owned enterprise reform. I think uh, global investors are very interested uh, to see how state-owned enterprise reform will unfold. My angle probably is quite academic. I think the first thing is about ownership uh, diversification. So this is uh, related to state-owned uh, enterprise reform. It's very important. So I think how to move forward, probably we can rely on uh, uh, overseas listing so that all these state-owned enterprises can continue to piggyback on uh, common law or other better corporate law, uh, corporate governance uh, regime for corporate governance reform. So that's uh, one possibility. The other thing is uh, about uh, uh, rule of law or court system, how to make a court system more functioning in China in, or, in order to protect uh, 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 shareholders uh, in order to protect uh, investors in capital markets. Uh, the third one is about uh, how to offer better rights protection to foreign investment community, mm -hmm. how to uh, make uh, foreign investment or foreign investors uh, more functioning, more effective uh, in uh, Chinese uh, uh, corporate law, uh, corporate governance reform. I have one one last question. I mean, we have seen this uh, extraordinary share rally in, uh, in in Shanghai over over recent month, and also some quite significant decline in uh, in, in the last week. In <clears throat> in particular, what's driving the the Shanghai market in in particular? Probably uh, to quote uh, the most well-known economist in China, uh, Mr. Professor Hu Jinglian's uh, uh, comments. He said, uh, "Chinese capital markets is a casino, basically." Mm -hmm. So probably that's the best way to rationalize uh, the current development. I'm not an economist or a financial expert. I'm a governance advocate. Uh, so from my perspective, I would urge our uh, global investors to be very careful. Uh, about their investments and to use their own methodology and parameters uh, to make sense of the current rally and declines uh, and what have you and approach their investments from a long-term perspective. Professor Chen, uh, Mr. Chang, thank you very much indeed and um, back to Tom in London. Many thanks Hans. All that remains to be said from my side is thank you very much to our guests in Hong Kong, to Hans 
And of course, many thanks to you for watching us today.